0: I had many amazing colleagues at that at that organization. But there was one um who every time I would hit a goal, uh, they would say, Double it, double it. So it was never like, Congratulations, you've done a great job. Take a break, get a rest. It was double it. The way that technology works, the time scale that technology gets built on is not the time that we need to process and be creative and (laughs) think of um, solutions that will not damage people and hurt them we have to define what success is is success producing more is that what we want to want is more or do we want something else because if it is then we need to redefine what success is
1: hi i'm carlos co-founder of the happy startup school and welcome to our happy startup community podcast Along this journey of building the Happy Startup School, I've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world. Whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival, or sat at a beach cafe in Goa during one of our retreats, each of them had fascinating stories to tell and interesting ideas to share that have changed how I look at business and life. This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope they become a source of inspiration, learning, and connection. Enjoy. Carrie is an author, entrepreneur, community builder, and consultant, and has been building online communities for the past 15 years. Her new book, Building Brand Communities, is about how companies can create a greater sense of belonging and therefore create more positive impact in the world. Her experience in tech startups did not create a great positive impact for her. She started her professional life in the publishing world and then moved into a tech startup where she found the step change in the pace of work overwhelming. During our conversation, we touched on the idea of a calm company as evangelized by the founders of Basecamp. Rather than trying to achieve growth at all costs, we should be creating a new definition of success. However, can you have a calm company if you're not a calm founder? Lately, I've been having a number of conversations about leadership and inner work. I was struck by the quote, the organizations we create bear the scars of their founders. What this means to me is that what we believe and what we need is reflected in the companies that we create. If we're not aware of some of the unconscious needs and behaviors that we bring to the company, they'll play out in in the way our company grows and evolves. In this episode, Carrie says, Ultimately everyone looks to the founder. How do they work? What do they care about? Are they paying attention to what I'm doing? And if not, what do I need to do to make them pay attention to me? In a previous podcast with Christina Keasley, I discovered the idea of the law of the lid, and that an organization can only can only travel as far as the founder. So what does this all mean? Well, When you're thinking about your business and how well it's working and where it's going, I believe it's also important to look inwards and ask the question, where am I going? And how am I being? Enjoy.
0: I'm a community builder and I've been building online communities specifically. That's my area of specialty um, for over 15 years now. Um, And that I come to this work through my own like pain basically through my childhood and my adolescence trying to find where I belong where I fit in and for me I was such a shy kid um, that I like there was actually a point where <laughs> for my school pictures I uh, the photographer asked me to smile and I, I refused to smile because I thought that like like that's how invulnerable I was in person as a as a child um, I just did not feel safe a lot but I when I discovered the internet um, My family moved me from Georgia, moved us from Georgia to to Silicon Valley, California when I was about six years old. Um, My dad worked in tech PR and he loved computers. He just was obsessed with computers and like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And um, he gave me my own computer when I was pretty young. Uh, Like it was the hand-me-down from the living room, you know, like the one we all shared. And uh, when he hooked that computer up, the whole world opened up to me and that became my Sort of avenue through which I made friends and shared vulnerable truths about myself for the first time in my life. Um, and then, because I did that online, I realized, oh, I don't have to only do this on the internet. <laughs> I can, I have access to this like through my friends at school, and um, you know, I don't, I don't have to live this way anymore. Um, so for me, it was like really just a an opening to a much larger um, way of of living. So. Um,
1: yeah well wow. ah oh, so the, I, it's uh it's interesting um doing this work around thinking about community building and my own sort of journey of understanding how it works um, and a lot of people from my experience have uh found that face to face um introduction to being in a community or being in community with others and feeling that connection that's the most powerful way that they found it Mm -hmm. and some to some level some people actually uh, dismiss online as a way of of building community yeah but it sounds like it was your it was your way in into seeing how how you could be feel part of something did I hear you correctly
0: a hundred percent yes um people do demean online community a lot but the research shows that, um, especially people like who how I was when I was younger, and still sometimes am, like who have a lot of social anxiety or who already feel lonely and they have a lot of trouble um, picking up social cues and things like that, that online communities are actually extremely helpful. And in fact, um, there's a, a theory in social science called social processing theory that um, posits that... In fact, relationships built online can grow more intimate, more quickly. It takes a long time on the 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 front end, I guess, of the relationship because you don't have, well, now we have video, but um, in a like a forum or something like that, you don't have the facial cues and things like that you can pick up on that we use to often like decide if we should disclose something about ourselves or if we're safe or not. Um, so it can take a long time when we're first starting to build relationships, but because, um, of the way that it's mediated and the way we might be like in our own separate safe spaces at home, um, that we can share more intimate, more vulnerable truths about ourselves and feel more known online, in fact, uh, than offline. So I think we're relying on conventional wisdom when we say that, oh, the best way to build relationships is face-to-face. Uh, I don't think we can say that across the board for everyone at every time. Um, I actually think that for many people, building relationships or cementing them online, um, can be either, you know, a great way to continue a relationship or a great way to, um, to start one for the first time. So, yeah.
1: And I think the thing that stands out for me is that whole, it, it there's no one way to create connection between people. Yeah. And it's very dependent on your own relationship to the social or being social or having social interactions, it sounds like.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think about this too with like um, you know people who are much younger than me now. Um, what kind of technology they're using to to build relationships, um, and the way that they form relationships is just going to be very different. Now, I will say that they are you know people who are like fifteen to eighteen right now are some of statistically speaking only uh, some of the loneliest people <laughs> in the, uh, uh, American history at least. Um, so, but there's many factors that are contributing to that. Not only the technology. We can't just blame the technology. Even people who have shown that there's like a a, a surge of loneliness around the time that like cell phones became smartphones and and all that like say that there it's not the technology's fault. Um, there's a lot of other factors culturally, um, economically. Um, yeah, there's a lot of other factors at play. <sighs>
1: Yeah, I do find sometimes it's very easy to blame technology. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the thing that springs to mind is is, is technology is a tool. And yeah. it can be used for good or for evil. And ultimately, there's a person behind the tool or the weapon <laughs> that has to use it. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I'm quite... Actually, I have a really strong belief that interactions like this over video, the fact that we can connect... Over thousands of miles away from each other, um the idea that like you said, you can do it from the safe space of your own home mm-hmm. so you don't necessarily if you you know you don't like being in large crowds you can you can um you have somewhere that feels a bit more protected. there is a power in that that can create like you said facilitate connections where maybe they wouldn't have happened before,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think, um, one of the people that we interviewed for, um, the book that's coming out about building brand communities is someone who, um, built online communities for Lady Gaga and her, um, little monsters app community. And she said, you know, she had a very, actually talking to her, she's probably about 10 years younger than me, but talking to her, it was like, I felt like I was staring at like a young version of myself. (laughs) I was like, oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, She said that she felt really lonely in high school. She was bullied a lot, um, just felt invisible. And uh, she met friends through the the Lady Gaga community that she's now flown all over the world to see, like a friend who, she's in Australia, a friend in Amsterdam who she's still friends with, you know, like five, six years later. Um, And they help each other through all kinds of life um, drama and things like that, so but you know, like they have met offline in addition to, to online. I think to say that only online interaction is, is enough is I'm not, I'm definitely not saying that, but, um, but yeah, I think that it has a place.
1: Uh, so the, one of the, the thing that sprang to mind when you're talking there is, is around how technology has a way of leveling the playing field in all sorts of ways. And I think, you know, the, the most prominent way we see it is in the startup world and tech and how small, tiny companies can actually compete against large companies. The way I relate it to what you're saying there is like people who aren't necessarily socially gregarious or like to go out or, you know, they're, they're, they can now start making the same kind of connections and having the same impact and having the deep relationships that they wouldn't have had before because of technology and, and the, the different ways we can communicate.
0: Yeah, and this connects to leadership too. Like a lot of people who might not have risen to leadership positions, I'll put that in quotation marks because it's an informal designation, um, can have a, a louder voice online and just can be more expressive online rather than, um, you know, out in the real world where uh, I teach right now a, a class of undergraduates and um, like the way that leaders get picked is often just who's the loudest. <laughs> and that's just sort of like what people do, like, oh, who's talking the most? Okay, you must be the most responsible, you must be the leader. Online, all that goes out the door, because uh, you don't have, like, volume necessarily <laughs> on your side, so um, I think in that way, it opens up what leadership looks like. Um, it changes the voices we have access to and can can listen to, um, and it means that, you know, quiet, introverted people have more of a, uh, a chance of being able to to find their people and and lead online as well.
1: Thank you very much for the 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 very uh, sophisticated segue there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I saw it.
1: <laughs> that's that, that's that's brilliant because um, when I'm linking that idea of like leveling the play playing field for technology and for community building, and also for leadership, being able to lead in different ways and where that in terms of linking this conversation to the idea of leadership where i'd like to take it first is i think uh, where people most think about leadership and it's in terms of organizations and companies and, and building great companies and uh, what it means to be the top of that mm-hmm. uh and your thoughts around the idea of um calm companies and this mm-hmm. this thing that's come out from from the founders of Basecamp and their ideas of how a company could be built, so maybe talk a bit to to your experiences of mm-hmm. culture in in, yeah. in in the world around of business building
0: yeah um I've worked for a variety of organizations um uh, I mean, I guess where I was initially thinking about this was, um, I started my career in pop- in publishing actually, um, which is a very different kind of industry from technology, which is what I moved into because the deadlines were four years, four years out, you would work on a four-year timescale. Um, so I often had days at work where I could just dream of new ideas, um, and think about like, Oh, what's a, what's, a something else I can create that will help this book, you know, really be successful in the market or really help readers understand the concepts in the book. Uh, Cause I had time. <laughs> um, and I also like the, I still am some of my very best friends came from that work environment. Um, we just like really bonded through, through that work. Um, and then uh, did that for about two years um, and then had some internships and in publishing prior to that. And then, uh, moved into publishing, or sorry, into technology from there because uh, this company that I worked for at the time, Chegg, was disrupting textbook publishing. So they hired me to come in and sort of like, give them um, sort of build the bridge from traditional into, um, you know, what is digital? Um, what do the digital products look like here? Um, and so that was a complete 180 in terms of culture. Um, the time scales were, you know, two-week sprints, and uh, to go to go from a four-year deadline to a two-week sprint is just, oh my gosh! Um, I remember first joining the company, and like at night, I would close my eyes to go to sleep, and spreadsheets, which is like, me. <laughs> like just be like in the back of my mind. Okay. Um, Yeah. And, uh, I constantly, I remember I had, um, I had many amazing colleagues at that, at that organization, but there was one, um, who every time I would hit a goal, uh, they would say, double it, double it. So it was never like, congratulations. You've done a great job. Take a break, get a rest. It was double it. Um, which by the way, like, <laughs> I don't know if you know how like exponential works, but <laughs> that's a crazy thing to ask someone to do. <laughs> of course, you know how it works. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I, at some point I just hit a wall and, uh, at the same time, uh, I was in a relationship that was, um, abusive. So I will share that. Um, and so it was like all these, like, Abuse coming from multiple angles, frankly, Um, from the culture that I was working in, which at many times was wonderful, but still had uh, abusive elements in it. And this is not unique to that organization. I wanna make that very clear. Um, And then also the relationship I would come home to at night. Um, It just, I fell apart. (laughs) Um, And uh, I took uh, some time off and then I went and worked for another tech company in San Francisco. And I realized, I realized what I just said, which is that that was not unique. The culture there was not unique to that company. It was not that company's fault. It was the entire culture of, frankly, technology companies and the speed at which they work and the outcomes that they expect from employees. They're just like these, like the way that technology works, the time scale that technology gets built on is not the time that we need to process and be creative and <laughs> think of, um, solutions that will not damage people and hurt them. So uh, yeah, I came from, from working on these really long time scales to this. And then I was just, I just decided like, this is not, I can't work in-house <laughs> at one of these companies. So I I took um, another break and then I started working with David Spinks um, from CMX. Uh, and we took the company CMX, which is a community for community builders um, from an annual, biannual conference and turned it into like many services and um, trainings for community managers all over the world. Um, But we often still worked with tech companies and I just saw it again and again. And I see it now, I do a lot of coaching of community builders um, and a lot of them work for tech companies and they're being asked to do like, you know, to run six programs at a time um, and double their results quarter over quarter. Um, and oftentimes, like those results that people are expecting are completely arbitrary. So, um, I try to, when I coach community managers, just help them see that everyone's making everything up um, and that you have to really advocate for yourself in that kind of a culture and that kind of an environment. Um, and that there are times where it's better for you to leave. As well, and find a different path. Hmm. I, not for everyone, and the culture really, really, really needs to change. So, as as entrepreneurs, um, I think it's really important that we um, keep that in mind and build companies that don't do that to people.
1: <laughs> well, so the, there's things sounds particularly in the tech world. What I hear is there's the the business going at the speed of digital, mm-hmm. and that just not. Matching up with the speed of a human being and we we travel through the world and and think and process stuff Yeah,
0: I think we're trying really hard to keep up right now, but we're seeing the effects of it like anxiety is Just it's becoming like a cultural norm to be anxious um, and uh, and feel lonely and feel uh, Exhausted all the time and be busy is like a good answer to how are you doing? (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like it's not, I, I, it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable.
1: And so you said it was like, there's a broader culture and contextually, or a cultural context that these companies are in. I'm wondering, um, given your contact with various startup companies and your own experience, is there something around the founders and the leaders of these companies that the, that you've seen, that's kind of a, a trend or something that links them all
0: that's a good question um i don't know so what i notice in my work is that um the founders whether they realize it or not of a company create the culture for everyone else um and yes like there are you know if you have have a really large organization there's going to be like departmental cultures and things like that but ultimately, everyone's looking to that founder, like to say, how do they work? What do they care about? Are they paying attention to what I'm doing? Um, And if not, how do I do something that makes them pay attention to me? (laughs) Um, I just see that again and again. Um, A lot of times when I'm coaching community builders, I have them speak with the founders of their company, if they haven't already, um, and, and hear how the founders describe the community that they've built, uh, which is always like a very vulnerable thing to ask. Um, but I think it's really important that they, they hear the way the founder talks about the community or if the founder even cares about it in the first place, um, and what language they use. So, um, yeah, I think because of the way people look up to, um, the founders of an organization, whatever they do is being watched and being copied a lot of the time. Mm. and what I see is, well, it's sort of a two-pronged thing. Like, yes, it, like founders could do more to um, create a culture that is more inclusive and slows down a little bit and things like that. But also from the perspective of us looking up to them, like we should also realize that they're human mm-hmm. and um, that this idea of like hero worshiping founders, which happens a lot, um, you know, like I, up in the Bay Area, California, like hero worshiping Steve Jobs was like, that's what you did, um, which by the way, like <laughs> I've, I've read Lisa Jobs's book and it's fantastic. And you just realize how uh, one human being is not, he wasn't perfect. He was really, really broken. Uh, and we're all really, really broken and that's okay. Um, but we're continuing to perpetuate some of that brokenness and, and continuing to perpetuate trauma. Um, is actually what it is through mm. the ways that uh, we look up to founders as these like heroes. They're not. Um, they just had a good idea and had the wherewithal to see it through. And oftentimes, are very charismatic. Um, but they're humans.
1: There's a I think there's something around the the people who do manage to create something impactful or these large organizations. Um, there's a level of persistence. You know, yeah. they have the tenacity to make something happen. I also believe there's luck, of course, that's involved. Um, uh, the other aspect of it, though, is the while they can make a company, you know, a large company, or make uh, an organization that's that's perceived successful, um, what it means on the inside. Within the organization and what it means, what it feels like, because it's what it looks like at, and how you can measure it on a materialistic level. But how it feels inside, whether the people actually feel successful or feel like they're enjoying things inside, wow. again, seems to me as something that isn't, is sometimes overlooked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, there's a quote I think I shared with you is like every organization carries the wounds of its founders. Yeah, uh, And you talked about people look to the leaders to model the behaviors that they believe should happen within the organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, earlier on, you said something around whether they realize it or not. As a leader, they have an impact on the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about that idea of self-realization, self-knowledge. And I, I believe you know, through the work that we do, I think that's an important step to, to really look inside and understand, for, well, pardon my French, understand and own your shit. Yeah. So that you know when that's actually leaking out to the people around you. So is that yeah. something that's happening more? Do you see that people being aware of this or is it still pushed away because it's weak to to, to start doing that kind of stuff?
0: I think it's still, it's still a major... Um people don't really talk about, uh, the self-work that they do, but, um, I, I know a lot of founders who have, uh, you know, therapists and coaches and people who help them, um, you know, resolve some of the inner (laughs) turmoil that's going on. Um, I know I have all of the above things. (laughs) I've worked with coaches. I worked with, uh, therapists healers. Um, and yeah, I think for me, like I was talking earlier about my own past trauma and I, you know, have been diagnosed with PTSD before. And, uh, because of my own history of trauma, I tend to not trust as easily as some other people do. And so I have to be really, really, really careful not to just not trust someone because of my history with people breaking my trust. Um, you know, like, I could live my entire life not trusting anyone. I could build an entire company, not trusting any of my employees. And many or, many people do build companies. They don't trust anyone that works underneath them or lateral to them. Um, but what kind of a company will, would I be building? What kind of life would I be building for myself? Um, what kind of culture will I be foisting on others? So. Yeah, for me, the battle is always like, how do I become less defensive um, and less, um, I guess, yeah, how do I become more vulnerable all the mm. time?
1: Because um. Kind of linking it back to this idea of calm companies. Um, I also, what sprang up for me when you were talking is, I hear uh, a lot of people talking about happiness in the workplace. Creating strong company cultures, um, and some of some, I hear some people saying companies doing that purely so that they can increase increase production and effectiveness, mm. and not necessarily because they want to have happy employees. Yeah. So, so there's something around. Uh, well, the, the two things maybe uh, maybe you could run with this idea of a really defining what success means yeah, uh, and what it also means within the context of this fast paced, not only tech world, but it feels like generally the world um, mm-hmm. and, and being a leader and what that means and what it takes to maybe be a leader that wants to create a calm company and mm-hmm. generally create a space that's, doesn't just pay lip service to happiness.
0: Yeah. uh, What you said about, you know, that um, there's this rhetoric around creating a calm company, or uh, in my case, there's a lot of rhetoric around creating community so that we can further production um, or further like, um, yeah, further capitalism is actually what it is. (laughs) Um, So uh, that is that rhetoric is running rampant right now, and it's it's been that way for a long time. Even if you look at Robert Putnam, who's one of the authors of he's the author of Bowling Alone. Um, I don't have you heard of that book? No. It, it was a book. Um, I believe in the nineties it came out. Or no, no, two thousand. Um, but it, it was a, he's a um, professor at Harvard um, and studies basically like how do we. Forge communities, why are they going away? Why, why is American life, American life specifically, but this is uh, applicable across um, many cultures. Uh, why is it becoming so solitary and individualistic? Um, but ultimately his, uh, what he was saying is that we have to create communities um, so that we can unlock social capital. So he put the idea of being part of a community into the language of capital and production, (laughs) which makes sense if you are a capitalist (laughs) and like you really, really believe that um, in this neoliberal idea that we're all individuals and we all have to just take care of ourselves. And if we take care of ourselves, then everyone else will be taken care of. Like this whole idea of self-care, I could go off on a whole other (laughs) tangent about like how the conversation is often like, take care of yourself first and then others don't have this ripple effect. And I believe that that's true, but I believe that that's true because we live in a society where we are distinct individuals and we see each other as we see ourselves as on a quest that's individual and not collective. Um So I think that, yeah, this, this rhetoric around like making it a production is something we just should be aware of because, Um, I've been reading a lot of Foucault lately (laughs) so that I could, (laughs) um, you know, analyze power dynamics and things like that. Um, But what Foucault says is uh, we are all agents of our own power and our own powerlessness. Um, And that, in fact, the most effective um, system of governance is one in which no governing has to be done, but we self-govern. And I think that's actually what company like Facebook for instance is asking of people with their Facebook groups rhetoric is saying well we don't want to govern you but you can govern one another in these Facebook groups Um, you'll have a leader there and we'll have all of the technical um, things that you need to report things and moderate um, but we're gonna let you self-govern and so by being in Facebook groups or in many communities, um, not just Facebook, I know we're <laughs> broadcasting to Facebook right now. Hey, Mark. Algorithm
1: um, is <laughs> uh, okay. listening to you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's not just Facebook. There's anyway, um, but by being in these groups, we are agents of our own powerfulness in leading these communities, but also agents of powerlessness in really consenting to be governed by Facebook through their rhetoric of saying, we are not governing you. Mm. So um, it's a very complex sort of philosophical uh, conception of things, but I think, I don't necessarily have an action item around that, but I do think that we just need to bring, be really aware of how community and how calmness or um, how slowing down, how those are being positioned as, Rhetorics to get us to produce more hmm. because like you said we have to define what success is is success producing more is that what we want to want is more or do we want something else because if it is then we need to redefine what success is and we don't have to just build a calm company to produce more we can build it to do something else entirely
1: hmm. i think it's that aspect of um if you create a company and you're the leader of that company, the founder of that company, and, and you have a need to produce more, mm-hmm. uh, I see in that scenario, maybe you you use the the frameworks of having a calm company, having a strong company culture and creating more happiness at work as a means to an end. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: And so... I link that to this idea of kind of a more self-awareness around what the leader's trying to achieve, Mm -hmm. so that they're not confused by their goal. They're not, um, how to put it, I think there's a level of transparency and honesty that we're here because we're just gonna make loads of money. And essentially, if you're in this to do that, then that's why you're here. But if you're actually here because you wanna have good quality of life and you believe in our values and our ethos about how we balance work and life or how they blend in a way that makes the experience better Then, being honest about that i think that's where my thoughts are coming to when when you were talking and um and and then that what does that mean in terms of actually what i'm trying to get to i think is what does that mean in terms of leadership um because it feels like bringing to the idea of the communi- community aspect, um, where leadership isn't just top-down telling people what to do. There's mm-hmm. something around be- being less of a dictator, yeah, but more of something else. I don't know if that yeah. had thoughts about what that something else might be.
0: Yeah, I mean, less of a dictator, more of a facilitator is really what it, Boils down to, Um, yeah. Leadership has been changing for millennia. (laughs) Um, What I what I see right now in a lot of communities is that to be a leader is actually just to really care about the people in your community and to enable them to grow in a way that they want to grow and kind of let them decide what structures they need in place to do that or what work they wanna to do toward that goal. Um, so it's less like, here are the three things that we're gonna do. I'm gonna be your project manager leading you through this. And it's more of uh, an open conversation with, um, you know, stakeholders and and your, your people in your community who wanna step up and commit and do take action with you. So. It's more about bringing people along on a journey than telling people what the journey is and having them just be bystanders mm. in it.
1: And I'm interested in these so you, you know, we talk about, there's this idea of community, uh, and I think of companies. Uh, so a community is a collection of people together for a particular reason, and a company is a collection of people together for a particular reason. So that's mm-hmm. one way, company and community. And then I think of <clears throat> how companies Various companies are trying to evolve the way they structure themselves. You know, you have a lot of remote working happening these days, people who are acting more as freelancers rather than employees. So that feels yeah. less tightly structured than a traditional company um, and more a bit more amorphous like a community. Yeah. What I'm trying to get to is like, is there this... Is there an evolution where company can behave more like community or is that really never gonna happen because there are two different um, conflicting needs happening in that, that space? Hmm.
0: I don't know. Um, I'm thinking now of like the concept of holacracy um, and how people say that it doesn't work. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been part of an organization um, that was really, truly run like that. Um, I do think that I have hope that that's how things are moving, um, that you can run a company more like a community and people can come and go as they please um, and can come and go on certain projects that they care about, and then like go work for another organization. I feel like that's how we're moving right now. Of course, there's like lots of labor issues and um, issues around like, how do we deal with healthcare in that situation, at least in America where healthcare is tied to your job. Um, so I am i don't have an answer to like how that should look, um, but I do think that it's a good thing for people to not be stuck in working for one organization. Um, and so, Really, to get people to buy into working with you on your goal as an entrepreneur, you have to make people care about your um, your purpose and and what you're doing, and people will self-select if that is the right fit for them or not.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I feel there's something around. This is maybe so. It's quite um, bringing it bit bringing it home. I would say to myself. And my co-founder Lawrence and uh, the organization that we're trying to build, but also trying to build a community at the same time. Um, You talk about being clear about your purpose and your values, which is something that we talk about a lot within our community. There's also something about having a clarity in terms of a vision and a direction for the organization, for the company. Um, and the, the question this brings up for me as well, because there's, a, you know, I, we're going through a process at the moment of just, you know, really crystallizing what the next two, three, five years could look like for the happy startup school. Um, and there's this idea that Lawrence and I are going to have a clear picture of the, the path ahead. But I, I think one of the things that we're interested in for, for what we're building is the idea of legacy mm. and the idea of this. Thing called the happy startups, called this community, this essentially a set of values in a way, do being continues beyond us, mm-hmm. and that means uh, the idea of succession and other people leading potentially. So, this and I, I've heard there's two conflicting arguments around that. There's one that the organization is really based on the founders, and once the founder leaves, mm-hmm. uh, and the organization will dissolve eventually at some point. And then there's another view where the organization is a separate entity in itself. It's a collection of beliefs, values, and people, and it will continue to carry on as long as that is very well defined. I was wondering where you see that, particularly maybe from your lens of communities and how they come up and go away or even stay.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's one um, best way for everyone. It's sort of like saying, like a relationship is not unsuccessful just because it ends, um, right? So, um, but as as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of, um, I mean, a, a lot about CMX and what we built there, and um, how at this point, you know, David is still running CMX, um, and if he were to step away, I do think that the community would continue. Um, at this point, he would have to create some structures and boundaries around it. But, um, I think the purpose is, is, um, would probably need to be crystallized more, especially with, um, you know, the company was founded about five years ago now. So what's changed in the world and what needs to be done next and where are we going next and what work do we need to do together? Um, but when that is clear, um, I think, I think an organization can, can keep going. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure that it's always good to keep it going, just to keep it going. Like, it really needs to have a reason to exist, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, there's plenty of communities I'm thinking of now that that do sort of get created during a time where they're needed, and when they're not needed anymore, dissolve. Um, the members of those communities stay friends. The relationships are still existent. Um, but the community's purpose is no longer necessary.
1: And now I think it's when you say when it's needed, Um, and I feel I'm drawn back to um, the person who started it, needed it to happen and they saw a a need for it to create it. And then when they don't have that need for anymore, they don't see the purpose of it anymore. Um, That's a good time to say, Ashi. We did what we need to do. I got what I need, and so we will just close this chapter. And it isn't a failure. It's just that we're no longer needed. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you do still have people that are caring and still are part of that community, it's obviously best to have that conversation with them um, rather than just again like a top-down, like I decide when I close the door mm. and and ask like, is this still needed? Can we change the purpose so that we are addressing the things that need to be addressed now, as opposed to the reasons why I started this in the first place. Um, yeah, you can have that conversation and then have it be more of an organic uh, evolution as opposed to you having to have all the answers. Mm. That's, that's the other thing about leadership now is that, like leaders don't have to have all the answers. I think that's always been true. Um, but giving away credit and, um, bringing people into conversations and making it collaborative, I think is we can do that at a scale we've never been able to do that before um and it's powerful because it means that you when you do initiate a change that there's people behind you that you know you're not just announcing this thing and dropping in people's laps Mm. um i think
1: of it at another level is when you closely identify with the company or community or organization that you've built without that awareness that you've, you've linked your identity so tightly to it, then the idea of letting go or the idea of closing down or idea of someone else taking over that could potentially be totally hijacked by this, um, unconscious attachment to the company. And so you hijack that ability to, to hand over succession plan for instance or even close and you just persist or you just you don't listen to anyone and you just tell people what to do
0: yeah yeah and you can imagine how well that would go (laughs) over the long
1: term (laughs) and I think it's linking that to that you know this is my the story that I'm telling to myself at the moment is like when you're able to identify those things like okay it's just me my ego getting in the way and really i need to accept this is i don't need this anymore and if i close it it doesn't make me a bad person and the reasons i'm here are no longer uh the reason well there's no reason for me to be here anymore and so unless if i can just let that if someone else wants to do that if someone else has a need to keep it going then i should be able to just easily let that go Mm
0: -hmm. well not easily i will say it's really really hard. It's so hard, even when you are making a change that's for the positive, there's always grief. Mm. Um, uh, we were talking at the at the beginning before we started recording about how I moved to Wisconsin from Washington, and I am in school now, and I love it. I love being back in school, but uh there's still a lot of grief and missing um what I had and missing that time in my life where things were pretty tumultuous and um So yeah, I think if you are to close it, I haven't seen, nothing is coming to mind right now, like great examples of an organization or a community that's shut down in a really thoughtful, beautiful way. But um, yeah, if you could honor what has been created in that space before moving on, I think that could be really, really powerful. but yeah, like I said, I'm not. Nothing is coming to mind for me right mm. now, <laughs> an example. But
1: well, a story I can share, whether it was as thoughtful as it could be, is when we closed down our agency to mm. to focus on the Happy Startup School. Um, and so at one level, we knew that there was no longer a need for us, or we didn't feel the passion and need. Yeah. To to continue with the business, and it it did involve letting people go, and. I think on one level, if we were very ego-driven about the business, we would have tried to sell it and try to get it to a stage where it was valuable enough for someone to buy. But Lawrence and I were very much, well, it's, it's the amount of effort it's going to take to make that happen. It's not really going to generate the value that we we, we would need. Mm-hmm. And while it sounds crazy just to close a company, even though it's working well, we know that knew that our heart wasn't in it anymore. And so it was very, it was, it was a simple, maybe not easy, simple step to change. But what I did catch from you there, and I think I would agree with you is the grief aspect of that. Yeah. And for me is that transition of identity where you have a very strong identity in one organization or one way of being. And from my place in from my perspective, being a technical director of a, a a digital agency and knowing exactly what that role entailed and how to yeah. to be in that role to then being starting a community and being what was effectively events company and then not knowing what that meant for myself and then getting very confused and maybe a bit sad yeah. about what could have been
0: yeah I think that's all part of the <laughs> the
1: journey right like yeah and I, this is why i was really curious for i'm very curious about this thing about you know when i think of whether building a company or building a community there is a way there feels sometimes like a weight of responsibility i'm going to make this happen and there are going to be people who are going to depend on me and i'm going to make sure that we know where we're going and that's what leadership can sometimes sound like but I think what you were talking to do before was also the vulnerable side, the open side, the collaborative side of, of leading where, where it isn't just about, I feel I have to carry everyone. I somehow have tried to include mm-hmm. everyone in what's happening, be a bit more transparent about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which helps to dismantle that like hero worship we were talking about earlier. Mm. Um, because it opens the door to like what it's actually like behind the scenes. And so people see that it's not, it's not easy. um, And that it's possible to make mistakes on the way too.
1: Yeah. Um, There's a fear that we have to look like we know what we're doing or else people won't trust us. And people won't believe that we'll be able to continue or or make things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a real challenge, uh, when you're trying to gr- get people to uh, get great confidence in people. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I guess that's, that's what's at the heart of really strong communities is the, the, the trust. Well, yeah. no, the trust. You don't have to know where the community is going. You just know, I want to be part of that group and they have the similar values and beliefs that I do. Mm-hmm
0: yeah and i mean that that does involve some trust right that you trust what the what they say the purpose is is what the purpose is mm. uh, and yeah from a leadership perspective um i something you said was um resonated which was um you know helping to create trust is really important um and it can be really difficult if you don't know that you're doing the right thing um but you really don't ever know that you're doing the right thing. You really don't. Um, there are things way, we can't control anything. We think we can, but we can't control anything in the world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I think part of leadership too is about knowing that you're stepping into something and you have to have faith in it. Um, and I don't mean that in a religious or spiritual sense. I mean that in just like a, you know, like a, open to possibilities sense.
1: We'll work it out no matter what.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um and I think when you forge really strong relationships, people uh and and they people have seen you weather um crises before and make mistakes and 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 fix the the mistakes that you've made um or move on. That's that's how trust is actually built. It's not because you're saying something in the exact right way um, mm. or you're Tell, weaving this story where people, um, you know, believe your story. I think that's about, you, you can persuade people in that way, but you can't build like lifelong trust that way. Um, and that's really, for me, like the aim of building communities is like, how do we build a more trusting world? How do we build a world, not just that's more trusting for trust sake, but it's more trusting because we're actually making commitments and keeping them and, and feeling and fixing it and, and acknowledging that we're all human. Mm. Yeah,
1: I I like the idea that as a leader, you're making a commitment and you're doing everything you can to keep it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll fall and sometimes you'll stray, but it isn't for want of trying to commit, keep that commitment. Yeah. And that's, and then doing that in, collaboration with people and with the support with of people who believe in what you're trying to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And trusting that the people that are there are there for the right reasons too. that's, that's been a, one of my, that's one of my areas for growth. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, are you just here because like, you want to get something from the group or from me that I, you know, and I, you just have to trust people are there for the right reasons. And if they're not, you will figure that out, you will yeah. figure it out <laughs> pretty quickly.
1: Yes. Yes, I think, and that's that's the interesting part. Was when you can, when you appear, when you show up in the world in a certain way, and maybe others aren't on that same wavelength and they're doing something with different motives, how we react to that is quite an interesting um, exercise or way of looking at whether we feel threatened and we try and push them out. Or there's, I don't know, for me, it's like you accept. Maybe they'll take advantage of me, but they won't hang around, and we'll just move on from them and what they were trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, tricky one that one.
0: Yeah, it is <laughs> It's life's work. Life's
1: work. Well, yeah. um, thank you very much for yeah. sharing this little journey. Um, I think we touched on community, on companies, calm companies, leadership, um, a bit of philosophy there.
0: Uh, <laughs> That's a different ta- like talk altogether
1: <laughs> together. Like it could be a, uh, another round of conversations right there. Yeah. Um but uh at, at this point it'd be um I'd like to uh, give you a little space for shameless promotion because some people might not know already you're writing a book just about to release a book so maybe you want to talk about oh, anything you want to, sh- to share with the, the the listener here.
0: Awesome. Um Yeah, I'm working on a book. Well, technically the book is done, but it is now in copy editing um, called Building Brand Communities with Charles Vogel, who I believe has also been on your podcast before. Um, So you can find out more about that book. uh, You can go to my website, gathercommunityconsulting.com and sign up for my newsletter. So that's a good way to keep in touch. Um, Or, you know, follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook, but um, you can find me on the other ones.
1: And how would they find you on Twitter, for instance? Oh,
0: I am at Care, C-A-R-E-M-J-O.
1: Care, uh, C-A-R-E-M-J-O. Yes. (laughs) Well, I stick that in the show notes anyway, so people can follow you there. Um, So once again, thank you very much for your time and sharing this space with you. And, and, And we'll hope to keep on connecting and talking more about this community and leadership business.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. This is really
1: fun. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School podcast. We're on a mission to help purpose-driven entrepreneurs and individuals find more alignment between what they believe and the work they do. Because for us, happiness is when what you think, say, and do are all aligned. Happiness isn't just a passive feeling, but an active way of living, which isn't always easy, but when it's done right, can be effortless. We're on a mission to help you find happiness by providing tools, courses, and community that inspires you to follow the journey of building a happy startup. This will require finding out more about yourself, as well as learning how to build a purposeful business. If you're excited by this, then please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform and then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com. You can also read our blog at ahappy.link forward slash read.
0: What I notice in my work is that um, the founders, whether they realize it or not, of a company, create the culture for everyone else.